Take it away. Okay. It's all yours. So I'm Sandy Bledsoe. I know some of you. I know many of you. I'm like really intimidated because there are elders in here and like theologians in here, and I am not a theologian. So just like uh, Karen Speak said last week, when we were in here, I'm normally oh golly, <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta check it out. Sandy. Oh man. Um, so I'm not a theologian. I am not normally an adult teacher. I am normally with a little one. So I have taught me some of you. I actually have even taught as. Um, so I normally started the two-year-olds, and I'm normally, you know, used to telling stories about um, Egypt and plagues and, you know, prophets and all that kind of stuff. So this is a little intimidating to me, but I said yes because I love Patrick, and Patrick asked me, and because I love this book, and because this book really spoke to Craig and me in a, in a way that I'm going to tell in just a few minutes. Um, we're going to be talking about Philemon this morning. I really actually like, it's only 25 verses. It's a really tiny little book. Um, I'd like one of you or a couple of you maybe to read it for us as we start. Can I get a volunteer who's got a nice, strong voice who can read the book front? Or, or we'll divide it. You want to take the first... Well, if someone what, would read, what book are you talking about? Philemon. 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 I got a great book. <laughs> <laughs> it really is only 25 verses, so it's a real. It's, I think it might be the short, the shortest, or one of the shortest. One of those, yeah. It's tiny. It's a yes, but I, for me, it's got it's got like big big impact for, for me in my life. Ready? Oh, you want me to do that? <laughs> yeah, let's read. Let's read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Apia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening, in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is, very, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord 
refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. As so and so do Mark, Aristocara, whoever, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Christ be with your spirit. Thank you. Let's pray again over the words of the Lord. Um, Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for um, the words that you've given to us, the scriptures, these holy words. We ask you to bless it, bless our conversation, and God, just teach us um, what you want us to learn from this passage and from being together this morning. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name, amen. Um, so, just a little background, if you don't know or if you've not heard this before. So, I did a little preparing for this just to say, well, who was this guy? Philemon, so he lived in Colossae. So if you read Colossians, um, there is mention of Onesimus there in Colossians. And Philemon was a member of the big church in, in Colossae. He had a house church there. He was apparently really wealthy. And this guy, Onesimus, anybody know who Onesimus was? Have you learned this before? Here's a slave. He was Philemon's slave. And apparently... Um, Philemon owned Onesimus. Onesimus must have done something, stolen from him, hurt him some other way, and ran away. And he ran away and went to Rome. And if you look at a map, we don't have a, a map. I don't have a map. Colossae is a long way from Rome. So Onesimus ran away a long way and somehow got to know Paul when Paul was in Rome and became a Christian, a believer in Jesus, while he was in Rome. So Philemon had Onesimus. Onesimus ran away. Uh, the actual the word Onesimus means useful. Um, I think it was kind of a misnomer, at, at least at one time, when Onesimus was with Philemon. Um, ran away, became a Christian, and was with Paul then for a period of time. And then when Paul wrote Colossae, the church at Colossae that became Colossians, and wrote Philemon, Onesimus actually delivered the letter and so that's where we get the story and this letter so I want to um, ask you a little bit I when I was, I was studying this and again as I said there was a reason why I chose this which we'll get to in a few minutes but as I was preparing for more than what I'm going to get to I learned and thought about what are the themes here and there's one really big one that I want to spend a few minutes on but I'm going to throw it out to you what do you think some of the themes that Paul is trying to get at in this letter. There's a whole lot packed in there in these short 25 verses. I've got four that I came up with. Thinking about Paul as a friend of Philemon. Grace. Grace, yeah. Transformation. Transformation. Advocacy. Advocacy. So Paul was advocating for Onesimus. Yeah. Others. Humanizing. Humanizing, yeah. Onesimus <coughs> is a person, not just a slave. So forgiveness, huge one, right? Huge. Forgiveness. Accept him as you would accept him. <coughs> Take him back. Um, equality was one that I had written down. Equality, so the whole idea of accept him not as no longer a slave, but he's my son. 
accept him as your son, accept him as you would accept me. Huge thing on equality. Um, forgiveness, we mentioned that already. Redemption is really the biggest one. And this was one that was an aha for me when I, um, when I was studying it. So think about it, the redemption. And, and Marianne, you mentioned the grace. So he's saying, so who knows what Onesimus did? Enough that he ran away. And think about how Philemon must have felt when Onesimus showed up in his door. And I thought about that. What would that have been like? So Philemon has this person who's run away, and, and according to Roman law, apparently he could have you know, done all kinds of bad things to him when he showed back up. And so here he is, Onesimus is standing at his door, and he hands Philemon the letter. That's a personal letter written to him from Paul. Um, and so think about the whole idea of redemption. <coughs> and if we think about what God did for us through Jesus, who was Onesimus in that story? In the allegory of um, what Jesus did for us and God did through it for us through Jesus, who was Onesimus? Us. So we are Onesimus. We have violated God. Who's the father? Who's the father? Philemon is the father, right? So, oh, so Onesimus has violated Philemon. We are Onesimus. We've violated God's laws. We've hurt God. And who is Paul? Paul is Jesus, the mediator. And one of the things that I read, which I just, I'd never seen before in this, but I just loved it. If you look at verse, um, see, it is verse. Yeah, so verse 16 or verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. And what an amazing thing for Paul to say that. And that is just like what Jesus says to the Father about us. Charge it to my account if you've done anything wrong. Um, and that just is the most, what I think the most powerful thing about this whole story. Um, accept him as a brother. Just like um, Jesus is saying that, and he's still appealing to God on our behalf right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. Um, I just love that about this. Um, okay, so the equality, we already talked about it. You, you have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but a dear brother. Welcome him as you would welcome me. <laughs> Any other examples? So I also thought about the Good Samaritan. What does the Good Samaritan do? He takes the um, the guy who's been beaten up. What does he tell the innkeeper? Charge it to him. Charge it to him. Any other themes that you can come up with? That's not the one we talked about. I don't know if I could put it in just one word, but verse eight, um, like freedom. Like, it's like, I could be like Paul and boss you into saying, like, you're going to just go my way, but I'm going to make it an appeal. I'm going to let you make the call. Out of, I'd rather, like, make a reasonable argument out of love to you than you make the call. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. right, right. It's your choice. It's your choice. I'm not asking you to do this. I'm not going to force you to do this. He lays it on pretty thick. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's really powerful. Like, you know, I think we probably all had, like, that sort of authoritarian Bible says, like, 
it, it's so much better if the person doesn't do it because you're like, you know, random down the throat. It's better if they like agree with the concepts that you're. So it's a, a passionate argument versus a. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Walter, did you have So yeah, and, and yes. Yeah. So uh, trust, because knowing what Philemon could have done to Onesimus, right, and how much Paul loved Onesimus. Uh, it took a lot for Paul to be able to trust Philemon that he would do the right thing and it took a lot of trust in Onesimus as well that he would actually return back right. and that like I mean can you imagine like Onesimus going there thinking like well what if he doesn't do what Paul says you know like it took right. a lot of trust in Philemon as well so. right it's, right exactly I mean he had to be uh, that had to be kind of scary he had to have yeah. courage right. to do that and go, to go back to whatever it was that he had wherever he had messed up to go back and just trust that it was going to be okay. Yeah. I think loyalty is another thing to do. But Paul is loyalty. saying, you know, if you consider me a part and do this, by the way, you owe me anyway. Right. But uh, he's calling on their loyalty to do the right thing. Yeah. Paul is his loyalty to do the right thing. Yeah. I'm thinking of honor. The scripture came to mind, honor one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul does honor Philemon by not telling him what to do respectfully approaching him and just asking Philemon to honor Onesimus as a person and to honor his relationship with Paul and all that comes out of humility knowing where we stand because of what we've received from Christ so it's not like false pride honor it's recognition of ourselves leads us to honor other people above ourselves a little legal aside is that a promise to pay Someone else's debt must be in writing and signed, and that's what you see in this passage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think about how, you know, this is a whole different way of dealing with the conflict here. Um, Philemon has all these rights that he could exercise in the name of justice, and uh, and Paul's saying, wait, 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 there's a different way of doing this that is perhaps even better than our established ways. Yeah, justice versus mercy. So the, the balance between justice and mercy. Yeah. It's not really a theme, but it's interesting to me that he says, prepare a guest room for me. I'm coming. So it's not like, hey, I'm asking you to do this. I'll never really know if you did it or not. It's like, and by the way, I'm going to be there to see you. Oh, I love that. I don't think it's that one, but yes. Yes, so it sort of has a little trust but verify. Yeah. But without saying that. Without, yes. Yes. That's good. I just. That's good. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I oh, no, I'm fine. Okay, you know, Karen last week just went. I won't do that to you. I was sitting in the back and she was actually like calling on you. I won't know. Um, the other thing that I thought was also, so to that point, I looked at a little bit different hospitality. Um, so Philemon must have had an open home. He had a house church, open home. And so that whole idea of opening our homes, preparing our homes for people. But yeah, that's an, I, like, I like your take on that. Um, and then just the whole friendship and the encouragement. So. You read all of that, all the things that Paul was saying to Philemon about you've refreshed the hearts of the saints. Um, and um, this morning, if you, were in, if you were in first service, you heard um, a letter that was written 
to one of our members when they were going through a really hard time. You'll hear that if you um, go to second service. And just the encouragement that was in that letter. And many of you know Pat Ward. Pat Ward is one of the you know pillars of this church. Who's, if you know her at all, she has sent you a, a note. And the power of writing to people what you think of them and how you how they've helped you and how encouraging that is. I think that's another thing that we can see here um, in this book that I think um, is a message for us. Um, anybody have anything else about? Yeah. I was thinking that Onesimus's relationship with Paul must have changed and I think someone said transformation enough to be willing to go home and face, you know, to take ownership for whatever he had done. And I think that's, that's, that took a lot of courage for him to be willing to do that. You know, yeah. it's one thing to admit to a third party like Paul, a authority in your life, hey, I've done this. I'm sorry for it, but to go home and face the person that you face the God is even more, says more a lot courageous. For his transformation as becoming a Christian. There's some. There was some, and I, this has not been verified, but some um, theory. There was a bishop in the church in that area named Onesimus, but that was a really common name. So there's some some thought. Oh, could that have actually could Onesimus have become a bishop in the church, or was it someone else? Um, we don't really know. But that's sort of an interesting thought of how much he might have been transformed. Um, through his relationship with Paul and what, what Christ did for him. So I um, I kind of saw that it also is kind of Paul saying basically putting his freedom on the line as well because in the ancient world, if you don't pay your debts, you can do And so in a, in a sense, even though I think he knew that Philemon was not going to like try to collect and probably, but I think in a way he was also putting his freedom on the line because um, essentially that's another way that you can become a, a slave in the ancient world. So by collect or saying that he would pay the debts, he was also putting his freedom. Okay, so um, the reason that I chose this book is because um, Craig and I were in um, Chicago, Labor Day weekend, probably eight years ago, I guess, and we went to church at the big Presbyterian, huge, huge, wealthy Presbyterian church on Michigan Avenue on that Sunday before Labor Day, and the pastor there chose Philemon as his text for his sermon that day, and it was about the time that this book Hey now, how many of you have read this book? The Help? How many of you have seen the movie? Okay. Read the book. See, if you have not done either, I would highly, highly, highly recommend both. Um, it's a really good book, and it's a really, really well-done movie. It's um, just, for those of you who have it, it's written by a woman who grew up in Mississippi, um, and she grew up in, in the 60s, where it was still very common for, Af for families in the South to have African-American help people who came and helped raise the children, <coughs> helped do the housework, um, and helped just manage the housework. <coughs> and she thought about, as she was an adult living in New York, she thought about that time in her life and about the civil rights movement and all of that. And so she wrote a fictional account of, I think there are three, three, three or four maids who were working in these homes and one of the women who grew up in that setting came back from she came back from um, 
Ole Miss with a degree in literature, and she wanted to be a publisher. She wanted to be a writer. Um, and she decided she was going to write a story about what it was like to be one of these help, one of the maids. And it was, of course, it was back in the 60s when it was extraordinary. It was against the law to um, interact with each other. And so it was kind of, she had to be courageous to get the stories. The maids had to be courageous to tell their stories. Um, it is really a powerful story, primarily about um, race relations. Um, but also, I think it speaks today to us in another way that this minister brought out to us about how we treat people who make our lives easier um, every day. So who are the invisibles? Who are those people who are the invisibles or who are the others in our lives today? Who are they? Wait staff in restaurants? Mm -hmm. Trash collectors. Trash collectors. <coughs> Amazon delivery. Amazon delivery. <laughs> <laughs> How, what, could we, what would we do without Amazon delivery? Mm -hmm. Hotel staff and child care workers. Hotel staff, child care workers, plumbers, people who clean the bathrooms. Um, janitors. Hotel maids. People who stock grocery stores. Stocking grocery shelves. <coughs> but the people who put our groceries in our bags for us. The checkout clerks. How many of you have been other? What did you do? Me? Yeah, as an other. I clean, I clean bathrooms. You clean bathrooms. In Western Auto Schools, yeah. Uh, I was a waiter, a bus boy, I mean the list goes on and on. I shovel manure <laughs> How do we treat them? Have you ever talked to somebody or if you if you have been so let's just take one category that's really common, at least for us because we eat out all the time. One category of those people and that's our <coughs> waiters and waitresses and those people who wait on us at restaurants. Have you ever talked to them or if you've been one of them? Have you ever have you ever had a conversation with them about what it's like <coughs> to wait on us? Raise your hand if you've ever been one. What was that experience like? You don't like working on Sundays. <laughs> and why, Patrick, do you not like working on Sundays when you're a wait staff? Because church people don't tip. Yep. They don't tip. Yes. They do not tip well. And that is that is that is Embarrassing. So we were at dinner last night and just you know preparing for today and we said to our wait staff, tell us what it's like. And you know what they told us? Two things. One is not tipping. And the other is, you know the you know what they said the worst thing is? When we're just ignored. When we're just ignored. Um and so again, so back to the so the, the man who was in this very wealthy Presbyterian church in the Gold Coast of Chicago, very wealthy, convicted everybody there, convicted us for sure. How do we treat all those people? And it's such, a, in a way, it's such an easy thing. We just, it's such an easy thing. Um, and it would make such a difference. So let's just think, if, if all of us, on Sunday after church, just started to do some really simple things, like tip them, like anything, tip them anything, right? But maybe tip them more. <coughs> tip 
them more than the standard 15%, 20%. To give them 25, do we need that extra two dollars, Nicole? Well, it's interesting because you know in a restaurant there's a hierarchy and the waiters are actually at the top often. And so, like, I worked in a restaurant in New York City, and you know the waitresses were sort of at the top of the pile, besides the managers. But then there's the busboys and the cooks mm -hmm. and the dishwashers, dishwasher. and those people are very quite unusual. Um, but we would tip out to those people, and so you know basically the only things that would ever get was some sort of overflow. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it, it certainly never crosses people's mind to walk back to the kitchen and say, thanks for sweating back here for eight hours so that I can eat on your feet. But those guys probably had it the worst, the, you know, the cooks and the best ways. They're the real invisibles, They're the real invisibles, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, have you ever noticed, and since, since we had this conviction, I've noticed people who are, you know, cleaning the floor or... You know, you go into a public bathroom and they're in their cleaning bathroom. What do you notice about them? They, you, do you notice anything particular about their interaction with you? <coughs> I, I, they don't even look up. You know, like they don't even they don't even look up because they don't expect anyone to even pay any attention to them. And if you if you take a minute, so this is an experiment for you for this week. Just just make an effort to speak to that person, to say, thank you, or how are you today? I hope you're having a good day, and see how they react. Just see how they react. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to brag on Wolf for a minute. So a couple years ago, I, he started doing, every time we check out or work at a restaurant, anywhere like that, he'll say, as the person's like taking the credit card or whatever, he'll say, how's your day going? And he does it pretty much every single time. And it completely changes the interaction. Like people will tell you all kinds of stuff yes. about how their day is going. Yes, they will. <laughs> if you ask. And it just it's really fascinating. So it took me about a year to start doing the same thing, maybe longer. But it is just super interesting just treating them like a human being. Like I know this is a forty five second interaction, but But how much difference that would make yeah. compared to and how how many of you have been um Speaking sternly to those people when they didn't have any control over what the situation really was. Okay, I'm going to be the very first to raise my hand really high because Craig knows I can be kind of a hard taskmaster. And so if things aren't quite. I'm not saying that publicly. Uh, well, this is confessional. This is a confessional. He wants a witness. He did not <laughs> say taskmaster. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so high standards. Yelling at somebody who brings your food to you because the because it's not cooked right, it's not <clears throat> Or because you missed your plane, or because whatever it might. Yeah, it's a hunchback. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm guilty of that. And and so, what kind of message am I doing in that little interaction? And so, how many of you, as wait staff, again, those are the, those are the most common, easy. I'm not going to tip them because I got really bad service. Well, it, it, the tip is, okay, so the tip is supposed to reward service, right? But maybe they're having a really bad day, and maybe if you tipped them anyway, that would change their whole, would change their whole life. Um, Craig used to go to Pancake Pantry early morning. It was, it was meetings, 
I'm not sure it was really needing, but he told us all it was needing. Um, and he would have story. Paula was the was the wait waitress that he always would get. He would always make sure he got it. And she told all kinds of stories about how cruel people were. Um, and how mean they were, and how, and especially on Sundays. Especially on Sundays. Church people. I have an example. Um, uh, one of my friends is a pharmacist at like a CVS. Well, uh, like a CVS, and apparently people are extremely disrespectful to uh, the pharmacy staff um, for not having medicines ready and things like that, which. They really don't have control. And I, I have to tell myself that. In fact, <clears throat> even I mean, I still I mean, there are times when I, I'm tempted to go, and then I think, the messiness, the help. Okay, it's, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Um, and just so things like being generous, even when they don't maybe deserve our generosity, um, making eye contact and knowing their names and knowing their stories. So we all we eat out all the time, and so we go to the same places all the time because we're kind of in ruts. And people, so we get to know people, and and I don't know what I don't know, but it just I think it makes a difference to them. It certainly makes a difference to us because we have we have community with them. Um, and I think just that little thing. If we want to change the world, if we want to change the world, just start with this. Why just start with this? Um, yes. Uh, I think when we're looking at this issue in light of Philemon, like that one little difference is really big. But what Paul's almost calling us to do is something a lot more dangerous for ourselves than that, like putting our economic stability at risk. And I think we can also get worked into an area where it's like, well, we're being kind to them, we're being this, and we're not really doing anything to make anyone's material lives improve, right? Yeah. And so I think it's important yeah. to understand how much Paul put at risk, put at risk. Yes. and not just the kindness he showed to him. Right? Correct. He put himself at risk as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You're, that's a really good point. It's a really, really good point. For sure. I think it would be nice if people would just be friendly to everyone in general, because I know I've had times where I've gone to different churches by myself, like I've been divorced now, and been just when I've been sad about that, and not, like I've been to different churches and not been spoken to. No one even said hello. Sometimes you can feel invisible just as a person. <laughs> Not because of what you do, but just because you're going to be or you're hurting or something. And I've been a greeter here at this church and people have just walked my pets and I've spoken. And sometimes that hurts, you know. So I'm just saying in general, not just because someone's your waiter or whatever. And I'm not trying to be victorious. No, no, I'm just saying sometimes just to try to being more friendly just to everybody. <laughs> just say hello. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> sometimes it can be the loneliest place. It's just, you know, it's, that makes it hard, but it can be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's tee up the song. Yep. So this is along those... Especially the especially the first verse. You've probably heard this if you listen to Christian music at all. But um
One second. We had it. We had it. Well, uh, we lost the lost uh, connection here. Still oh, yeah. Oh. I, I, we have top <laughs> notch. Top notch Wi Fi. Oh, there are donuts up here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jump has it around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me do this. <laughs> Sorry. We were. <laughs> While he's doing that, so to your point, I think your point is well taken. Others don't have to be in the service industry, but they can be just people we don't know. I'm just saying, just be friendly. Just people we don't know. You know what I mean? And be kind and say hello because you can feel invisible. Yeah. In lots of different situations. Yeah. And I think this whole conversation, Sandy, really challenges our view of humanity and class. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, do I see um, the checkout lady as someone who is human, or um, you know, to use our language, completely a slave or a servant to me? I mean, they are in a service industry, which I think is much different than treating them as a servant, you know, as, as someone who is fully human. And, uh, and that's, that's what I have to challenge myself with, not just thinking, man, there's, there's something that makes me better than this other person. I think some of it is just benign neglect. We just mm -hmm. don't, we, as, our, as our waiter said last night, <laughs> we just tend to just not even see them. It's not, it's, not, it's a, it's, we just, we just don't. Mary Nell, you probably got loads of stories. So Mary Nell works in the catering business. You probably have loads of stories about just even Yeah, I mean I think the service industry as a whole is seen as such a lesser industry to be in or lesser positions to be in, but everyone in the service industry has this amazing opportunity to show what God's hospitality really is. And we never think of it that way. We think, oh yeah. <coughs> service industry, like that's, that's a job you do when you're in high school, but yeah. wow, how like much they can show us what God's hospitality yeah. means. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. For me, this story also uh, kind of draws my mind to things that go beyond just like in service positions, like uh, what about systemic oppression? You know, like do I see, if I view the people around me as potential brothers and sisters in Christ, Am I going to start caring more about maybe like income inequality or racial inequality, like things that are deeper than just right. the jobs that we do? Are they stuck in that job? Has their family been stuck in that job for three generations? Um, what am I going to do to change systems um, and kind of attack that and kind of try and bring some equality because I see them as a God image bearer, you know? Yeah. Like that's what it means to me. Yeah, I think, I think just like what your friend said too a minute ago too, just like the bigger picture and the things that are even more, would be, take even more courage. Like the book, yeah. talking about, so that was all about, it was a, it's really in a way an allegory of the whole civil rights movement and changing that that paradigm that we had. So, so to that point, I think that too often we think, and I'm, I'm not dismissing this, but too often we think big picture, okay? 
but as Christians, we have a huge impact down here. Yeah. And that's down here where it changes the big picture. The big picture. It moves, right. it moves so. up. And I think that we, we have these huge expectations as Christians. We're going to go out and change the world, which is great, and we want to do that. But how do we change the world? Yeah. You're, you know, it's our efforts can really be significant and important down here. Yeah. Well, and on yeah. the interpersonal. And right. so this exactly. particular situation, it was a letter from one friend to another <coughs> to change Onesimus' life. And so let's not lose sight of that as well. And in this, in this book, it was those people down at this level, relationship-wise, that changed that town, that changed the way everything was happening. So, okay. yeah. Ready? Ready. <laughs> if you're ready. Yeah. We met half a dozen times. Know your name, I know you don't know mine. But I won't hold that against you. Take your order and try to be polite. Hide what I've been going through with you. Look me right in the eye. Would you see the pain deep inside? Would you take the time?
Well, thanks. We'll see you. Good up to Sandy. Yeah. We'll see you next week.